0: going fantastic. Today on the show, we're going to hear from fitness to rehab. It's a system that Dr. Teter calls a linear load application continuum approach. That is a mouthful, but don't worry. He breaks it down very nicely with massive amounts of examples so that you can grasp what it is that he is trying to teach over at Southeast Sports Seminars. As you can do, last week was uh, the quadrant analysis part. So we're going to talk about that a little bit as well as factor with Dr. Todd Riddle. Those shows, if you're interested, Dr. Todd's is episode 85. Dr. Papes is episode 174. We mentioned Josh Satterley. His episode is 126. My goal, so by the time you hear this on the webpage, there should be a link for a, like a rehab series. Just like I did acupuncture and podiatry and dentistry, we're going to have one for rehab. And it's going to have the people that we just mentioned, plus about five others. So it's going to have so many different types of topics, approaches, reasons why. So if you were to listen to this, you would definitely want to spend some money (laughs) to equip your office, to change up some things, and definitely to take one of these courses. So all the books that the guests have recommended in the past, including this one, you can go to a doctorsperspective.net book list, and that'll take you directly to Amazon. Just search through those books and you'll find them. As well, if you're ever interested in supporting the show financially, whether it's a one-time payment, buying some merchandise with some shirts like Dr. Rob did on the last episode with the N equals one shirt, want to see a quick reference for all the series, the top tens of each year that were downloaded, and even the affiliate links that I have for all the products that I recommend, whether I use them personally or just really like them. They're all in that thing. So it's a doctorsperspective.net slash guide. Yes, that's right. Guide. Like I will guide you. Well, let's get to the show. Load application is definitely a theme. You can find all the show notes and the transcript at adoctorsperspective.net slash 175. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Live from Germany in Kansas City, Missouri, today on the show... We are going to have a doctor who has created this whole program from rehab to fitness. And I think it's going to be a really good thing if you just haven't done a lot of rehab in your clinic and that's something that interests you. Let's give them some um, credentials here. Certified as a corrective exercise specialist and performance enhancement specialist from the National Academy of Sports Medicine, strength and conditioning specialist by the... N-S-C-A, Certified Functional Strength Coach. He's certified in Functional Movement Screen, Selective Functional Movement Assessment. That's that S-F-M-A you may have heard me talk about from time to time. Graston, Smart Tools, Factor, which is a – that's a pretty cool one. We taped a uh, episode with uh, that a while back. And also Kinesio Taping. So this guy knows what he's talking about. Please welcome Dr. Tom Teeter. How you doing? Doing well. That was a big mouthful for me. Uh You
1: know it- – I always enjoyed learning and continuing my education, and uh, at the end of the day, I think that's kind of all why we're in this business is to kind to grow and, and uh, learn our craft a little bit better. So I always hate those bios because I think if each of us sat down and write all the stuff that we spent time learning, it could be five pages long, um, but I'm definitely an avid student, and I, I try to get better every day.
0: Well, it makes a lot of sense when you're going to have your own program to teach people when you have this many certifications. You know, I think that only makes sense. I would never do something like this.
1: <laughs> well, I kind of did it out of necessity, if you want to know the truth. Um, I was a professor at a local university, and I was tasked and hired when I became a, a associate professor to start a, a fitness and wellness degree program from scratch. Whoa. Well, So, I developed a four-year curriculum for this university and taught it out for five years. I never had the intent of being a full-time professor. Um, I just literally kind of fell into the job, and I mean that literally. I I was handed the job and asked if I could create a curriculum based on my experience, and I accepted. And I just found that I loved teaching, and when I decided that I was going to leave university life back to be in private practice, I wanted something to do with my my teaching energy, and I kind of feel like there's a need in this niche void that needs to be filled for our rehab to fitness course, and that's kind of what led me to develop the curriculum.
0: So let me set this up for the the listeners and for yourself so when when we're giving answers and things, you know, like kind of the avatar that we're talking to for this episode. If we think of physical therapists, maybe there's the person who was doing joint replacement and stroke rehab, and they're like, I'm done with this athletes are my passion maybe they like spinal manips and they just have that as a tool in their belt but they want to do more of the rehab and maybe they're just not that you know up to date with it because they hadn't done it for like five or six years and then for the chiropractor they're technique heavy maybe they're just instrument based they know rehab is important they get paid by insurance so they've learned things like PNF stretches that you can teach for their house. The McGill's Big Three extremity problems, they give like range of motion with resistance bands, and that's kind of their wheelhouse, and that's really all that they do. So does that make sense?
1: Yeah. um, I think one of the things we try to talk about – one of the things I talk about in general um, when I speak and when I teach is I don't really care what profession you're coming from, whether it's chiropractic, physical therapy – Uh, massage therapy, athletic training, we're really talking about some very basic principles of the human body. At the end of the day, we are all biological organisms, and we all have a very specific way we respond and adapt to stress. So what I try to teach is this idea of load application. All of those techniques within certain professions that you just mentioned are fantastic, and I think different people use different techniques at different times with different people, but really what we have to boil it down to is this idea of applying uh, external load to the biological organism, tr- seeing how that person responds to that stress. And then ultimately, if we do that repetitively over time, if we get chronic and consistent exposure to stimuli, then there will be some type of long-term adaptation. Um, so I kind of boil everything I do back to this idea of load application, even to the point to one of the things that we're teaching in our new, up- in the new updated version of my course. Um, is taking all of those interventions that you just described and placing them on uh, almost like a periodic table of what interventions have the highest or lowest systems load within each of the stages of care. And we can talk about that in detail if you'd like, but my point being, I think at the end of the day, whether you're, um, let's say you're dry needling someone, or you're doing a joint manipulation, or you're doing PNF stretching, those would all classically be described as rehab, and we do rehab to restore function. But all of those have a specific quantity of load that goes into the biological system, and if we can look at everything we do on a load spectrum or continuum, then we can start to make really interesting choices about when we're applying certain interventions with people and why, if that makes sense.
0: It does. So to whet our appetite, what would that be? Someone who wants to do full squats but can barely get out of their chair at the moment, or had some kind of injury.
1: Yeah, we can take that as an example. Um, one of the things that we teach is that there are basically six. I call them six stages of care, but it's on. A, I think of a linear line across a page. It's a continuum. On the left end of the spectrum is what we call acute management. Now these are people that say that come in have uh, a, a trauma, acute pain, swelling. Inflammation, etc. So, there are techniques and things we would do with that person in that stage of care. The next stage of care is what we're calling fundamental kinematics. Kinematics is just talking about motion. So, we have stuff that's not moving and we want to make it move. So, these are things you might do like uh, joint mobilization, manipulation, instrumentation, uh, any manual soft t- tissue technique, some of the even factor, which is obviously my preferred method. Um, Those are things we would use in that category of care. The next stage would be motor control, and that is where we're doing, whereas we're getting with with the foundational kinematics, we're applying uh, neurological input with our intervention. In motor control, we're trying to get some low-threshold neurological or or, uh, motor output. So that's where you might use things like you were talking about with PNF, isometric contractions, uh, different types of, of graded isometrics or eccentrics in certain joint positions. Um, that's kind of our motor control bucket. And then as we get into the next stage, this is where the line gets really blurry, where the next stage is functional integration. And this is where we're starting to load body-relative movement patterns. We're looking at uh, body-relative strength. And we're really looking at the right progression or regression of load application um, under the force of gravity. So this might be your example of trying to get someone back to squatting. So if we use that example, and and we can go down that road, let's say someone wants to squat in the gym, but they twisted their ankle and they've got acute swelling and inflammation. I'm, I'm just using this as one example. So we might do some things under... Uh, acute management maybe we're going to do some things like if if, if these are resources you have available you might do something like a cold laser you might do something like some compression flossing or you might do some dry needling to help decrease pain and inflammation we might start to do some ankle mobilization and manipulation we might try to do some low-grade isometrics and then ultimately in order to get them towards their goal we're going to have to put them under body weight load so what we do in our course is we teach a series of progressions starting at the last thing you would do with rehabilitation and then taking them up to the most advanced progression of loading that particular pattern which is a squat now it is my belief again that if we're going to look at all of these things as an application of load on a continuum i've just provided a very thorough and comprehensive linear application of load to get them from acute pain up to squatting. Now, in some instances, that there's other stages of care that we might need to go through. Let's say that person needs to be able to. they maybe they're a basketball player, and they need to be able to squat to jump for basketball. Well, then we're gonna the next stage of care after uh, uh, functional integration would be progressive kinetics. Kinetics is just about forces and rate of force development. So we're gonna have to get that person jumping again with a very specific progression of, of load application with jumping. And then once we've got them body relative strength with the squat per se, and we've got we've got their ankle moving because we've decreased pain and inflammation, we've mobilized the joint, we've got them back squatting. And now we've got them jumping. Ultimately they're gonna have to go back to practice or go back to competition, which is our last stage of care, which is foundational capacity. Like we wanna get them Uh, performing skill acquisition, we want to get them doing change of direction, we want to get them doing uh, some type of work capacity. So if we use those six stages of care along this linear continuum, every intervention that we see in chiropractic, physical therapy, rehabilitation, athletic training falls somewhere within those six stages of care and within that linear application of load. And so when I teach my course, that's how we try to frame this idea of of rehab to fitness. if, If that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah. When you take your course, are we expected to have taken other classes, McKinsey or SFMA or Factor or anything like that? Or can we learn it all from you?
1: So let's, let's play with that a little bit. My course was originally designed, because so the way, so let me backtrack a second. I teach my course through Southeast Sports Seminars. It's Dr. Todd Riddle and his wife, Jessica. They're fantastic to work with. Uh, Dr. Riddle teaches the, the, uh, the Factor course, which is uh, Functional and Kinematic Treatment with Rehab. So it's basically teaching the principles of rehabilitation, right? Yeah. So I think it's very helpful if someone has had that course, and then we can build other things off of that. Because Todd teaches the rehab and sports medicine side of our equation. Right.
0: And a little bit of everything, too, like from the bands to the tight bands to everything. That's what I'm getting. That's exactly what
1: I'm going to say is when I have discussed this with Dr. Riddle and and if he was on here, he would we would have the same collaboration in that. When I came up with these ideas of looking at the stages of care and then looking at what one would need to know. Now, there are other courses that you might want to take to have a better understanding of each of the interventions in those stages of care. But ideally, in our mind if you could take something like a factor course that does go over things like... In that class, I do believe they talk about vibration and percussion. They talk about... Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about cold laser and acoustic wave, although it's not something they're particularly teaching. Um, he does go over myofascial decompression with cuffing, compression, flossing, and uh, uh, instrumentation with movement. Um, those are all very important parts of the rehab continuum. So what my class does is starts where his class leaves off
0: pause real quick i lost connection apparently and you just said it, it bridges todd's stuff with your stuff sorry
1: so what, what the rehab to fitness class does is it's trying to bridge in in sports medicine and conservative care there's a bridge between rehabilitation and fitness now is my belief and many others that think like me that if there's a bridge between your rehab and fitness you're doing the whole thing wrong So what we tried to do, in in Dr. Riddle's Factor course, he goes over all of the principles of rehabilitation and and touches on many different aspects of things that would fall under the first three stages of care, acute management, kinematics, and motor control. What I tried to do with my course is pick up where he left off, meaning if you have this example of someone who twisted their ankle, uh, needs acute management and mobilization, and you've got them with output and motor control, this is typically where most people will release them for care. But this is not a fully functional basketball player in our example, because in order for that person to be functional, they need to be able to squat, they need to be able to jump, and they need to be able to have work capacity and practice. So we tried to develop my class using these ideas of load application in the rehab continuum to literally pick up where Dr. Riddle's class leaves off. And so that's why I enjoy my partnership with Factor and Southeast Sports Seminars because we really now have this total continuum of care. What I do is I talk about rehab principles, but I teach fitness. And what he does is talk about fitness principles, but he teaches rehab. So what we really do together, kind of, uh, it's a very nice and convenient marriage, and it actually gives people taking our classes a really well-rounded thought process around the application of load and rehab and fitness
0: for anybody who wants to go back and listen to what factor is all about from the horse's mouth if you will doctorsperspective.net slash eight so what you're saying is interesting it's kind of like factor teaches you how to do stuff but you kind of teach you how to implement it in a linear fashion and then to take you from where like you said most people just kind of drop off you're out of pain you're doing some uh some bird dogs great and then you just quit when really like, there's a whole progression of you got to be able to pivot, twist, jump and slam and come back and have your ankle actually working as well as not having your back pain just flare up too from it.
1: Yeah, well, it, look, it, it, I think everything to me in my world and the way I think everything comes down to biology and evolution, right? We were designed to move. We are biological creatures. When we apply stress to our system, we respond in very specific ways. So as clinicians, we have to choose which stress we apply strategically In order to get the outcome that we're looking for. But the reason, the only reason why, and this is my opinion, I know Todd agrees with me, but uh, I know Dr. Riddle agrees with me. But the only reason why I, in my clinic, that I do things on the left side of the equation in the first three buckets is to get to the point where I can do things on the right. Because that's where you're going to make long-term adaptation. It's great in our example. If that basketball player has no more ankle swelling and pain, he we've mobilized and he's got normal ankle motion and he can contract the tissues around that joint efficiently. That's awesome. But he also has to be able to have body relative strength to be able to produce force to jump. He has to increase his rate of force development to jump. And then he has to be able to jump in practice with appropriate skill. So the only reason why I do things on the left in rehab is to give me the opportunity to do things on the right that actually has long-term success. There's nothing wrong with some people stopping at the end of the rehab process, which in most cases would just be once they have appropriate motor control. But what ends up happening in most cases, if you have this athlete and that's where you stopped, you've left so much stuff on the table that they're ultimately going to be back in your office with a similar or the same complaint because you never really brought them back to norm- to their normal function. And that's one of the things I also try to teach is function is context-specific, right? Normal ankle motion is just one part of his function. So is squatting, so is jumping, and so is work capacity. You know, sprinting up and down the course repetitively and and rebounding. That's normal function for this particular person. So when we leave things on the table, we're not really restoring function, and when we don't restore function appropriately, people end up getting hurt again. So I like to take things all the way down the spectrum for whatever that means contextually for that person. So I don't leave anything
0: on the table. So when you're doing your initial workup on a patient, so let's take it away from being an athlete. Let's kind of bring it to Susan who works at the office, has headaches, um, has a problem. Maybe they do sports, maybe they don't. But there's obviously some functional load that they need to improve upon so that they can handle the whole day without just having headaches three or four times a week.
1: So I want you to hold that thought in your head because what you just said was the most important thing you're going to say this whole time we speak today. What you said was they have a functional deficit. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Right. They have a deficit in function so that they need to have upon so that they can be tolerant to load throughout their day. So, so you're bringing it back to load for me. I don't have to do that. But, but I do the same thing with everybody. The, the, the principles don't change, only the context of their specific terminal task for the restoration of function. So, for instance, mm. when someone comes into my office, let's use you know, Sally, office worker, I've got headaches. Okay, so the first thing I always do, and this is one of the things we talk about in the course, is we do a patient profile. I want to know your chief complaint. I want to know what the mechanism of injury was. I want to know if you have any past medical history that might make this a complicated case. I would like to know if you have any... Any concerns or fear avoidances that might make therapy not successful. And then ultimately, I want to know what, what are your activity intolerances? Meaning, what's the thing you want to be able to do that you can't do right now because of pain or dysfunction? And then I want them to tell me what their treatment goals are. So when I perform this patient profile, which is basically just doing a history, if you, Mm -hmm. if you're doing it right, you're doing all this stuff already. When I perform my history and create my patient profile, this tells me who my patient is. And what they want to be able to do. Now maybe for her, she says, I'm having neck pain at work, but it's interfering with my ability to work out. I'm making that up, right? That's important to know. Then I say, well, what specifically about your workouts can't you do that you want to? I'd like to be able to overhead press or whatever that may be. So I do a patient profile. And then the next thing we do, depending on the context, is what I call needs analysis. If the patient profile tells me who you are and what you want to be able to do, the needs analysis tells me what you need to be able to do. So if we take this back to maybe our basketball player, a better example, in a needs analysis, I do a thorough investigation of what are the movement, fitness, and skill tasks you need to be able to play your position in basketball. And I I, I write them down. So if I know you have to be able to repetitively jump up and down to play your position five times in a row, or you need to be able to squat X percent of your body weight in a a squat pattern. Those are things that I want to use because that's normal function for that person. So we do a patient profile, we do our needs analysis, and then we do our exam. Now, the exam, I think, is where it gets really interesting because depending on your profession, a lot of us attack the exam part in many different ways. Now, I obviously am biased because I'm a chiropractor, but I would say that the way Dr. Riddle and I practice are definitely not what we would classify as traditional chiropractic care. Mm -hmm. When I do my exam, the first thing I always do is I'll see if we'll do some some, uh, mechanical sensitivity or orthopedic testing. Now, obviously, orthopedic testing doesn't always tell the whole story, but at least gives us an indication of what tissue may be pathological, irritable, dysfunctional, etc. And so we'll do some uh, orthopedic testing looking for mechanical sensitivity. Then we'll see if there's any contraindications. If you do uh, an ACL drawer test and you have massive pain, well, you may have an ACL tear, and there may be an indication for some other type of special testing, right? Now, in the absence of any type of contraindications, then we're going to move forward into our assessment. Now, this is where you mentioned things like the SFMA. That is obviously my preferred method. Uh, I think it's a very thorough investigation of global movement and reduction of movement to try to isolate particular problems, but that is by no means the only way to get to the end point of where you're going to intervene. This is also places where things like McKenzie comes in. Like, If you have a person with chronic or acute back pain, you might try some end-range loading to see if that alleviates some of their symptoms. If that does, it might take us down a different road. If it doesn't, we may want to look at a more global movement pattern to determine if that's contributing to the person's pain.
0: And you teach some of this stuff in your course too?
1: No, so that, so that we don't teach in the course at all. That's just my thought process okay. of, of where we're at. So once I do my exam, I've assessed the problem. We come up with our either functional or structural diagnosis, and then we have to pick an intervention. And in the intervention part, what we're really looking at is, of that stages of care, where do we need to start? What is the intervention I can pick in each of these categories that has the lowest systems load? And when we talk about load, I think it's important to think of it like, uh, the way I try to describe it's like medication. If you have a headache, we'll go back to your headache person. If you have a headache, and you go to the doctor and they say you say, I have a headache, doctor. What do I do? They say, well, we want you to take Advil, but take a minimum of 400 milligrams and a maximum of 800 milligrams. And that should alleviate your headache or relieve your pain. Well, in this instance, 400 milligrams is the minimum effective dose. That's the minimum amount of, of th- dose of thing you need to take to feel some type of systemic effect. And 800 would be the maximum effective dose. Now, at some point past that, you have the maximum tolerable limit, which is the most you can take without adverse effects happening. So whenever we choose interventions that fall within these stages of care, we always want to pick the intervention that has the minimum effective dose. We don't want to give someone 900 milligrams of uh, ibuprofen or Advil in this example if 400 milligrams is going to do just fine. I also like to use the description about alcohol. If you and I were going out to the pub and we were going to do some shots, I equate load to shots. If you're going to have some drinks, you want to have just enough to have a good time, to feel a little buzz, not enough to be passed out on the floor. Yeah. I think too often what we do with our interventions, and I have been guilty of this in the past, is sometimes we jump automatically to the maximum effective dose and it's too much for the body to adapt to in an acute amount of time and we see adverse side effects. So instead of making continual forward progress, we applied too much of a dose, and now we're stuck in this kind of holding pattern while the body has to recuperate from that. So what I try to teach is thinking of things in terms of minimum effective dose. Now, again, where my class starts with Rehab to Fitness is if we're going to talk about body relative, fundamental movement patterns, body relative strength, and progressions and regressions for each individual movement pattern, that's where we start. We kind of discuss these topics that we just touched upon, but that's not the majority of our course. If you wanted more information about that, it's in the course, but that's where things like factor and Dr. Riddle's class comes in. I'm not going to teach you how to do a patient exam because most of us should at least have some semblance of it. We will talk about it and we'll talk about the importance and where it fits into our overall model, but I'm not going to teach you how to do a patient history. I'm going to teach you how to appropriately apply load to these particular contextual situations.
0: What I like what you're saying is, well, let me put it this way. What type of visits are we talking about here? Most of us are insurance-based or trying to become cash or whatever, but we always have to worry about finances. This kind of sounds like something that could be a six to eight week situation. Is that the case or can it be done in eight visits? It depends.
1: Like Everything has context. And that's one of the things I I try not to answer it broadly because everything is a contextual situation, but I can give you some some ideological principles that we can at least have a discussion about. If we're going to agree that we're biological organisms and we're going to agree that chronic and repetitive exposure to stimuli is what elicits long-term adaptation, and that's what we're shooting for, right? If a tendon is irritated or it's degenerative for some reason – We are trying to stimulate some type of long-term adaptation in that tendon to make it more robust to stress. We know that chronic and repetitive exposure to stimuli takes time. You can't, and, and let's say you do two visits a week for a month, and eight visits in this, in this example is not enough time for a tendon to adapt to that type of stress. So sometimes things take longer. And I'm very upfront with the people that I work with about not only what I think the prognosis of their condition will be, but how much time I think it's going to take. And one of the other things that I've really, and I don't know, uh, I haven't talked about this part too much, but one of the things I'm kind of doing in my practice is I've really been describing people's ailments in kind of four categories. Something's either pathological, meaning it's damaged, it's torn, Like let's say you have an ACL tear. That's, that's pathology. You have a fracture. That's, to me, that's pathology. With pathology, there's a certain time frame for each tissue that it takes to heal, whether, whether or not there's a surgical intervention or we intervene clinically through rehabilitation. Something can be irritable. If something's inflamed and pissed off, there's a time factor associated with how long it takes for that to get better. If something's dysfunctional, cool. That's a little bit easier to treat because it's not broken. It's not pissed off. It just hurts. And it's just because something's not working the way that it's supposed to. And kind of as we know as clinicians pain is such a multifactorial thing that is, in my world as long as it's not something's not pathological or irritated that's a whole e- whole lot of an easier road to, to apply load for long-term change than it is if something's broke or, or inflamed right And then the last thing would be if just something's weak you're just not very strong you need to get stronger. Well great I have the, that is the app that is the fundamental concept of load application is we need to adapt tissue. To improve resiliency, and we call that word strength. We need to get you stronger. You're just weak.
0: And you're not saying they have to come every three days for the next six weeks. It could be, hey, you're at a spot where you can go do this at your house or at the gym. I showed you what to do, do it. Unless you kind of subscribe to like a Josh Satterly, no, no, no. We are the gym. <laughs> Well, I, you know, so here's the
1: thing. I'll, I'll be honest. I do both of those things. I know Josh and I obviously respect the work that he's doing and we've had conversations about this. But in my practice, and, and I can backtrack this too, is I do not believe in the idea of maintenance care. I think that is the the crux of the problem with the chiropractic profession. I don't want to speak for other professions, but I can only speak for my own. Is we have people hooked on the idea that a consistent weekly, biweekly, or monthly load application of force into a joint, i.e. manipulation, is going to create long-term health and longevity. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. The only way to create long-term health and longevity is through consistent and repetitive application of load, i.e., which we call exercise, right? So in my practice, I will use, remember what I said, I'll use rehab to get someone to the point where they can exercise because I know that's where I can create long-term change. The idea of maintenance care in my practice is a structured, consistent exercise program. So I have for example, and I, I love telling the story, I have a client that I will see this evening at 5:30 in my time and I teach a, twice a week I teach an adult fitness class and I have for the last 15 years pretty much the same people, same five six people that's been for 15 years. All of these people are 55 60 plus. And all of them are healthier, stronger, and fitter 15 years later than they were when we started. And I can tell you consistently that of these five or six people that are in my class, I think the last time that I saw one of them clinically in my practice was probably five to seven years ago.
0: Um,
1: To me, that's maintenance care. Once I get you out of pain and moving with normal function, we are going to continue the long-term application of load to your system that creates long-term biological change that makes you more resilient to stress and makes you more capable of performing life tasks at a higher level. To me, that's maintenance care. So I do absolutely espouse to to Dr. Satterley's uh, suggestion that we all should own a gym. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, I agree with that. Who better, assuming you have the requisite knowledge, and that's why I have a course to teach the requisite knowledge, but assuming you understand these ideas, who better than people in our profession to talk about long-term maintenance of health through application of load. Because if you agree with everything I just said, that if we break down every intervention we do on the six stages of care down to an application of load, who better to have that discussion than people in our profession? I wholeheartedly agree with Dr. Satterley. As a matter of fact, I, I listen to his podcast and every time I, I, I listen to it, I, I take a little nugget away because I, I, we're speaking the same language. But it's also the same thing that I talk about with Dr. Riddle. And and, and obviously, uh, I have an affiliation and a bias towards factor and Dr. Riddle, but it's because we have the exact same thoughts when it comes to this idea. Everything we do in clinical practice is about the application of load. If we can get our colleagues to start thinking about what we do as load application to a biological organism, now we can have conversation. And then all we're discussing or debating is which intervention has the appropriate system load for a particular problem. That's a great place to be. We're not quite there yet, and hence that's why I have a course.
0: Do you think that you could take a subluxation-only chiropractor who was doing 36 visits three times a week for 10 years, take factor, take your course, and they could actually do this?
1: This, this, that's a loaded question. Do they want to do it or am I making them
0: do it? Yes, they want to. They, they've realized that this is not what they should be doing and they need to learn rehab and soft tissue work because whatever reason, they've had a, a life change and they think this is the best way for thing best thing for their patients. But they're just behind the eight ball and the, the knowledge.
1: Yes. If, if all you're lacking is knowledge, then we can teach. Because I, 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 I say this. Give me a new graduate as an example, right? And let's pretend their their experience in practice is zero. So they have no particular bias coming into this. They need systems. That's what I'm going to say is, is if a lack of knowledge is the problem, well, we can teach you systems to do everything that we're just describing. In my course alone, we have 30 hours of content, 16 modules of which the first three are entirely based on the creation of systems to, to implement this idea. So I absolutely believe that you could take a subluxation-based chiropractor and teach them how to do load applications or rehabilitation. 100%, I think it's possible. The problem with that contextual question is most subluxation-based chiropractors don't want to do what we're describing because it doesn't make them as much money.
0: It's a lot of work.
1: It's a lot of work. and In the beginning, it doesn't make you enough money. Now, let's tie everything back to what we were talking. If you're talking about Dr. Satterley's uh, systematic his idea of clinic gym hybrid like if, if you have less people you're seeing on a weekly basis for maintenance care so those are less hours that you're spending applying interventions to people at a lower price point than what you would let's say it's i don't i don't know how it is where you're at but let's say it's, if you do an adjustment it's 50 bucks right whatever okay so you're seeing someone for however long 10 15 10 minutes for an adjustment 50 bucks if that person is giving you 300 bucks or 350 a month in your gym right? Mm -hmm. Is that not very appealing? It means less work I have to do, and they're going to get better care because they're getting long-term adaptation. Why would that not be appealing to someone? Well, the reason why is because they either don't know what to do, and sometimes that's embarrassing because if you've lived your whole practice existence based on this outdated subluxation model,
0: Mm -hmm. and and there's nothing
1: wrong with that. I know a lot of great docs that manipulation is the only thing they do.
0: Just refer out when it's necessary.
1: That, that's what I was going to say is those people also go, look, all I want to do is adjust people. But so if someone comes into my practice and needs something a little more involved, then I'm going to send them to someone else. And they have a team of people that they refer to. And that's one of the things we talk about ad nauseum. The- I think that's okay. It's totally okay. Know your lane. That's one of the things that we talk about. In the second module, it's all about creating a system. And part of that is building an integrated support team. So in, in my world, I like to do a lot of this stuff myself. Mm -hmm. But in some environments, I have in other environments that I've worked, I've had medical doctors that I've worked with that I refer to for certain things. I've had athletic trainers I've worked with for certain things. I've had PTs I've worked with for certain things. And then I've had fitness coaches that I've worked with for certain things. So if you don't want to be the one that per se, let's say you're just the one that you want to adjust the ankle in our basketball analogy, that's great. Be the best ankle adjuster in the world but also know that there's more to care than just that one bucket and be able to refer to other people for the other things that you can't or are not willing to do. That's just good care. And what happens is your practice starts to grow because you're like, hey, I this happened with an athletic trainer. I'm really good at dry needling, and I'm really good at taping and I'm really good at ankle exercise, but I, I can't adjust the ankle. So I'm going to do those things. I'm going to send the person to you for manipulation and you're going to send them back to me and we're going to keep going down that spectrum. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just one person I have to do uh, one intervention with. So to to get back to your your statement, like I absolutely think you could teach a subluxation-based chiropractor to do this. They just have to want to do it. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of work. An average visit for me can be about uh, when I'm actually doing rehab is about half an hour sometimes, even more. Mm -hmm. Half an hour, 40 minutes, 45 minutes usually my business for about half an hour, and I'm doing a lot of work. It's 30 minutes of hands-on care. We may do some acute management. We may do some kinematics with mobility. We may do some motor control, and I'm going to put you under load. My office is pretty unique that I have like fitness equipment in my office. So okay. almost every day, someone's under some particular progression or regression of a load application because that's where I need them to be. So yes, I think you could do it. They just have to want to be able to do it.
0: All right. And if you're interested in Dr. Satterley's episode, he was on the show as well, episode 126. Let's switch gears. I want to respect your time. You have your own clinic as well. Like, you see patients, you don't just teach. Do you have any marketing tips when you're trying to have this type of practice? What seems to be working? That's a great question. That's a switch gear for you.
1: No, that is a, that's, but that's one thing. Practice is part doing stuff and part telling people what you do Mm -hmm. and usually most of us struggle with the telling people what you do part and it's one of my own personal struggles as well I, i find just getting out and talking to people secondhand introduction so for instance i recently got introduced to a local one of the best local golf coaches in my city matter of fact one of my colleagues introduced me to this person uh, we had a conversation. We we kind of hit it off, and um, I invited them over to my clinic. I was like, hey, come over. Let me do an evaluation on you, and I could see maybe how I could help your golfing. Now, I'm obviously not going to teach her technique of golf, but one of the things that we determined was that she lacked motion in a certain joint that she needed, and because of that, she was seeing the faults in her own golf swing as the coach. So I said, like, look. Here's how I can help you and your client. If it's a movement or a fitness issue, those are things where I can intervene. If we rule out movement as a cause of uh, deficiency or if we rule out fitness, maybe your hip doesn't move into internal rotation. You need that to get into your backswing. Maybe you have internal rotation. You just don't have the force production to create power out of the backswing. Well, those are things I can help with. And if we've eliminated those as the cause of the fault, then it has to be a technique issue. But along this spectrum of care of movement, fitness, and skill, I can help you with two of those. And so a lot of times I find it best just having conversations and getting people to come in and see what you do. Like, hey, let me do an evaluation on you. Maybe we'll find something. And usually if you can find some type of dysfunction, relate it back to the thing that they can't do very well. And that's why in my patient profile, I always ask about activity intolerance. I'll say, what is it you want to do that you can't do right now because of pain or, or dysfunction? And I'll say, well... I'm slicing the golf ball, and I'd like to hit it further, right? Okay. Well, we can always look at the mechanical cause of why you're having that type of fault. And so when I talk to the, in other uh, coaches, or in this example, a golf coach, I always try to tie it back into things that they talk about and do in their own language. I also find that a lot of times results is, is, is the biggest word of mouth thing you're ever going to have. Once you help one person, and like, hey, I got ten. Yards on my drive, saw Dr. Cheater and he fixed my hip problem. The next thing you know, in the next round of golf, that person plays. You got five people calling you and be like, Hey, you helped Kevin. Can you help me with my problem? Now, I'm obviously just relating that back to golf, but it, it goes with kind of Same everything difference. in general. Yeah. So, you know, marketing is one of those things where I know language matters, and that's why I'm very strategic about the things that I say when I'm talking about what I do. But I think at the end of the day, personal relationships with coaches and trainers has been the biggest thing that I've ever done. Going out and talking to coaches, telling them what I do and showing them how I can get them results. And then going out and meeting personal trainers because now I have a course in teaching personal trainers how to do exercise related things. Mm-hmm. I can go speak the language with them and I'm like, hey, you know, what, what, what's the biggest issue you have with your clients? And like, one of my very good friends is a local personal trainer and we've had this conversation. He's like, you know, a lot of times people will stop working with me because they get hurt. Not that he's doing anything wrong. It would be something externally like you know, they went skiing and they you know, tweaked their knee and now they can't come back and work out with me and squat. And I was like, okay, well, we can have a process where if so, that does happen, we can identify where some of those problems are and we have a system of care where they can come see me. I can help them restore, in this case, knee motion or whatever it may be, reduce pain, restore function, and then I can send them back to you. So if your biggest problem is people have pain, and that allows them not, that because of that, they can exercise. I can resolve that for you. And then just showing them how. So uh, it's f- basically forming relationships and having conversations is, to me, is the absolute best thing you can do.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a little bit of a slower climb if you're new to an area. but For sure. But if you've been around and you're trying to switch gears or you just need to start marketing more with what you're doing, start kicking the bushes. Who do you know? Um, coaches,
1: in, in my world, coaches and trainers have been like, a gold mine um, co- coaches particularly uh, I, I've been so lucky and, and again I, I don't want to like say that my uh, experience has been the norm but I I'm, I'm just in a great area of my city uh, a pretty affluent area a lot of people know a lot of people and as I've introduced myself to coaches and, and had conversations um, it's it just been relatively not it's not always easy but it word gets around and if you do a good job and, and people start seeing results, the phone starts ringing and mm-hmm. you know it's, I've been pretty fortunate. I, I've been really lucky with coaches and, and if I were to have some advice to a young person starting a practice or uh, someone that's going to an area, make a list of all the coaches and the sports or activities you have interest in and just start making phone calls. And eventually you only need two or three really solid coaches to start referring a patient
0: before you get a busy schedule. Perfect. You ready for the last two questions? Yeah, go ahead. All right. You're married. One of the things I I talk about on the show always is who cares if you have uh, 30,000 students underneath your belt and then you lose your wife, you lose your kids and you have half your money. So is there any tips that we can do to keep our marriage healthy and happy?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, How would I answer that best? I I think I would say uh, always appreciate your spouse for how they contribute to the relationship. I think sometimes if you've been married a long time, sometimes you start to lose uh, an appreciation for who your partner is and and really what they bring to the relationship. And then just make sure you find time to show gratitude to that person for the positive things that they do for your marriage. Um, Again, I I feel very lucky that, um, you know, my wife and I have such distinctly different personalities. And marriage is hard and it's not always easy, but I think if you find someone you respect and you commit to creating a life with someone and you work hard at showing gratitude and appreciation, I think you'll make it. And my marriage, you know, my wife is the logical, I call her Spock because it's basically all logic, no emotion. And I'm the emotional one. Like you, if you Start talking about my kids, or you get me talking about a certain subject matter, I definitely get emotionally involved. And sometimes when we do that, we start to lose all rational thought. You know, I mean, that's just how people are. And she's the logical one. So I I think if you find someone where you both bring positive attributes to the marriage, you can constantly show appreciation for those particular attributes and just show love and kindness to your partner,
0: I think you'll be okay. It's a fantastic answer. Okay, and the last question, books, they could be about relationships, personal development, or even rehab, et cetera. Anything you want to lay on us?
1: Oh, man, that's a hard question because there's so many amazing books. I know, right? If I'm talking about rehab, if we, and there's, there's other ones, but um, it depends on your flavor, but I, I really like the Movement book by Greg Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really good starting point in my thought process and application uh, of just movement principles. Um, I really like, and then, then there's other ones in fitness, like if you've not read Super Training by Mel Siff, um, that's a. If you're going to talk about load application, that's like the Bible um, of books. It's 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 hefty and it's it's heavy, but definitely worth the read. It's something I've had to read quite a few times. One of my favorite books honestly right now is is sapiens and i'm trying to remember the the gentleman's name who wrote the book but it basically talks about the history of homo sapiens and evolutionary biology Mm -hmm. and it's one of the things i talk about a lot in our class because if we're going to talk about function uh, we have to talk about what was man intended to do or manned as a homo sapiens, early on, we were hunter-gatherers, so we would do a lot of gather. certain people. Right? We would walk long distances with aerobic endurance. And then for the hunting, we would do intermittent sprinting for work capacity to, to hunt down buffalo and, and a, group of, a pack of people and get food. So if we're going to talk about biology and, and how man was intended to function, we kind of have to understand those things a little bit. And I think it was a really good read about the historical history of Homo sapiens and how man was intended to function. And then if we can use that information, if we were meant to walk long distances, like early Homo sapiens would walk 11 to 13 miles every day, if not every other day. So if we were meant to have aerobic capacity and we don't, the further we get from our intended function, the closer we get to pathology. Duh. Yeah. So it's kind of an eye opener. Um, just looking at the, the history of Homo sapiens. Um, there's a lot of really good books out right now. There, I have a list that I keep, and I don't remember all the author's names, and I could send them to you if I if I think about it. But there's a really good book on sleep right now, uh, Dr. Riddle. Uh, and, I, and I can send it to you when I think of the, the author's name. But why? I think it's called Why We Sleep. Uh, yeah, I think that's the title book. And it, there's a couple books on sleep, but it, one of the things we teach in the class is There is a hierarchy of things that we need uh, from rehab, fitness, and athletic development. And the first thing on the list, sleep. If we are going to be able to adapt as biological organisms, we have to be able to recover from stress. The the main way which we do that as Homo sapiens is by sleeping. And so if we can understand why we sleep, how we sleep, and ways to
0: improve
1: those functions, we'll be able to recover better and be able to adapt to long-term stress. So... There's a, it's, it's just a great subject matter. And then as we just work our way up the pyramid, there's so many other, it's a really loaded question because there's so many great books out there.
0: And I don't think I prepped you enough time to pick the five you like the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just there's so, I mean, literally have a list in front of my computer at home. It's like 30 Same books. Here. And, and obviously if I, if I could go look at the list, I could tell you more, but those are some ones that really like kind of resonated with me. And yeah. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge uh, reader of like self-help kind of books or, or like uh, there's a lot of personal growth books that are on the list, but I spend most of my time reading more clinically you know, oriented science based books. Th- those books are great and, and I know they help a lot of people. I only have so much limited time, so I have to pick and choose wisely like where I uh, devote my my time for uh, you know reading those types of things. So
0: see, I read those books. That way I can just go to your seminar since you've read all that other stuff. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs>
1: well, and I'm sure I would love to hear what Dr. Riddle had to say about his books because he probably has some, a different list. But, again, the thing that I would go back to is that at the end of the day, what we're really talking about, whether it's rehab, fitness, uh, whatever your flavor is, is just we're talking about the application of load. There's another great book now that I think about it called um, – Oh boy, I'm trying to hang on, it's, it's going to come to me, but it's, it's basically about uh, adaptation, uh, homeostasis, and, and, ad- and long-term adaptation, and long-term physiological adaptation. It's basically about the stress response and how our body creates. Uh, it's homeostasis, allostasis, and the cost of long-term physiological adaptation. That's the name of the book. <laughs> so it's, it's basically about stress and long-term adaptation, which is everything that we're talking about right now. That's perfect. It's a good book. It's heavy, yeah. but it's a really great book.
0: I'll add all of those to the uh, Amazon book list that I have on there for people to look at so they can easily access it. Well, where can people get more information? I will have a link to everything on our show notes page, including the long URL to your exact course on Southeast Sports Seminars as well. But any short URLs or anything else that you want to promote before you go?
1: Sure. Um, If you want to get more information about the course, obviously, you can go to SoutheastSportsSeminars.com. Um, and there's a dash between southeast, southeast-sports-seminars.com. southeast um, You can go to the Factor website and learn more information. And again, it, if you want just a really well-rounded, uh, fantastic course on rehabilitation, I highly recommend taking Dr. Riddle's Factor course. And I'm not just saying that because I have an affiliation. I've taken it four times now, and every time I learn something new because it's constantly being updated. So I highly recommend that course. If you want to reach out to me personally, um, you can go on Facebook. It's Tom Teeter, or you can go to uh, Rehab Fitness on Facebook. And on Instagram, it's it's Rehab underscore Fitness uh, on Instagram. Uh, If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. I I will answer any questions. I love talking about this particular subject matter, and uh, I I could literally be on here for hours having this discussion. So if you have any questions, Please feel free to reach out to me. I'll answer questions later today. day.
0: Dr. Tom Teter, can't thank you enough for coming on, sharing your passion for what you teach and what you've learned throughout your life so far. And I do hope that you'll get some clicks and some people asking some questions. So thank you again for being on the show.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you for having me.
0: Another great interview has ended. While you're on your phone, click that review button. Write up a nice review for me. Five stars if you could. As everyone says in the industry, it'll help other people to find us when we have enough rankings. Not to mention, I'll mention you and your review on an upcoming episode. If you follow me at all on Instagram, you know you only get one link. So I use a Linktree. And so it's a doctorsperspective.net slash links with an S. And that's going to give you everything you need to know. The top episodes of 2017 and 2018, the podiatry series, dentist, acupuncture series, holiday 2017, financial series how to write a review how to support the show like buying a cup of coffee getting swag like t-shirts the today's choices tomorrow's health book that's the blueprints for better health exercise picking food correctly and financial and then of course bundle packs which can get you the no needle acupuncture book 40 common conditions including the electric acupuncture pin at a great deal the resources page has some of the products that i like it's a, a Affiliate style, so if you buy something from them, I get a piece of that. Just like on the show notes pages, if you buy a book from clicking that link, I get a small piece of that as well. So I really appreciate that. Things like Screencast-O-Matic, VPN Missing Letter, JLab Speakers, ProLone Edge, or Hawk Grips. Uh, once again, if you do need any coaching on how to improve some of your blood work, drop weight, and the ProLone diet, fast mimicking diet, five-day plan, let me know. As well as if you just need some coaching, whether it's health, whether it's marketing, whether you need some practice growth, etc. Reach out. Facebook, Justin Trostclair, MCC. Of course, at a DoctorsPerspective.net on the top right, you got all the social media icons that you can imagine. Click your favorite and reach out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please tell a friend. Pass it along. You can go to .net slash listen. It's just that easy. It'll open up right in your app. And don't forget, I appreciate you listen, critically think, and integrate. See you on the mini-sodes on Thursdays and Saturdays. Hope you're enjoying those. I'm definitely having fun summarizing these podcasts in less than 10 minutes for you. You get the nuggets without having to waste your time. Have a great week.